Environment and consumption. All animals alter their environments as a condition of their existence. Human beings, in addition, alter their environments as a condition of their cultures. That is, by the way they choose to obtain food, produce tools and products, and construct and arrange shelters. But culture, an essential part of human adaptation, can also threaten human existence when short-term goals lead to long-term consequences that are harmful to human life. Sweden agriculture alters the environment, but not as much as irrigation agriculture, and certainly not as much as modern agriculture, with its use of chemical fertilizers, pesticides, and herbicides. Domesticated animals alter environments, but keeping a few cattle for farm work or cows for dairy products does far less damage than maintaining herds of thousands to supply a meat-centered diet. The degree to which environments are altered and damaged is determined in part by population and in part by the technology in use. Obviously, the more people in a given area, the more potential there is for environmental disruption. Tractors and bulldozers alter the environment more than hoes or plows. But the greatest factor in environmental alteration, in the use of raw materials, the use of non-human energy, and the production of waste, is consumption. Because of our level of consumption, the average American child will do twice the environmental damage of a Swedish child, three times that of an Italian child, 13 times that of a Brazilian child, 35 times that of an Indian child, and 280 times that of a Chadian or Haitian child. The United States and China alone use over 40% of the world's energy. The United States and Canada have among the highest per capita rates of energy usage and carbon emissions of any countries on Earth. One of the best ways to appreciate the impact of lifestyle on the environment is through the method of the ecological footprint developed by Mathis Wakernagel and William E. Rees. The ecological footprint calculates the amount of land available to supply necessary resources and absorb waste given the consumption patterns of individual countries. They estimate, for example, that some 15 acres of land are required to maintain the consumption level of the average person from a high-consumption country. The problem is that in 2006, worldwide, there were only 4.5 acres of ecologically productive land for each person. For example, each person in the United States requires some 22.3 acres to maintain his or her consumption levels, but the country as a whole can support only 10.9 acres for each person, leaving a deficit of 11.3 acres. If we calculate how many acres a U.S. consumer uses by considering the number of acres available to each person on Earth, the deficit increases to 17.8 acres.
Weikernagel and Rees conclude that the deficit is made up in core countries by drawing down the natural resources of their own countries and expropriating the resources through trade of peripheral countries. In other words, someone has to pay for our consumption levels, and it will either be our children or inhabitants of the periphery of the world system. Globally, we are already drawing on more than the total biocapacity available to us, and in effect, requiring almost one and a half Earths to meet our total consumption needs. Our consumption of goods obviously is a function of our culture. Only by producing and selling things and services does capitalism in its present form work. And the more that is produced and the more that is purchased, the more we have progress and prosperity. The single most important measure of economic growth is, after all, the gross national product, GNP, the sum total of goods and services produced by a given society in a given year. It is a measure of the success of a consumer society, obviously, to consume. The production, processing, and consumption of commodities, however, require the extraction and use of natural resources, wood, ore, fossil fuels, and water, and require the creation of factories and factory complexes, which create toxic byproducts, whereas the use of commodities themselves creates pollutants and waste. Yet, of the three factors to which environmentalists often point as responsible for environmental pollution, population, technology, and consumption, consumption seems to get the least attention. One reason, no doubt, is that it may be the most difficult to change. Our consumption patterns are so much a part of our lives that to change them would require a massive cultural overhaul, not to mention severe economic dislocation. Reduced demand for products brings on economic recession or even depression. Thus, given the need to maintain economic growth, convincing people to significantly reduce their consumption patterns, or convincing governments to implement policies to reduce consumption is no easy task. Governments, most of whom must borrow money to function, require perpetual growth just to pay back their own debt, not to mention the debts of their citizens. Consumption is as much a part of our culture as horse raiding and buffalo hunting were part of Plains Indian culture. It is a central element. Consequently, there is no way to appreciate the problem of environmental destruction without understanding how people are turned into consumers and how luxuries are turned into necessities. That is, why do people choose to consume what they do, how they do, and when they do? How are our tastes formed? Take sugar, for example. Presently, each American consumed in his or her soft drinks, tea, coffee, cocoa, pastries, 
breads, and other foods, some 150 to 170 pounds of refined sugar. Why? Liking the taste might be one answer. In fact, a predilection for sweets may be part of our biological makeup, but that doesn't explain why we consume it in the form of sugar cane, beet sugar, and high fructose corn syrup, and in the quantities we do. Then there is meat. Modern livestock production is one of the most environmentally damaging and wasteful forms of food production the world has known. In 1961, the world produced 71 million tons of meat. In 2015, it was 331,138 million tons, and it is expected to double by 2050. And Americans eat more meat per capita than all but a few other peoples. Some environmentalists argue that we can change our destructive consumption patterns if we desire. But is our pattern of consumption only a matter of taste and of choice? Or is it so so deeply embedded in our culture as to be virtually impervious to change? 